Asbestos concerns are growing amongst the individuals who spent time in one University of Montana building. Now McGill Hall housed the ASUM daycare, media arts, and other offices. The biggest concern for the public is their health moving forward. Some people said that they worked at McGill Hall for over 20 years, and obviously they are worried about the long-term health effects of asbestos exposure. After more than a month of being closed due to elevated levels of asbestos in the building, the University of Montana's McGill Hall opened its doors back up to faculty and staff this morning. Total cost of the cleanup around $200,000, which came from the university's facilities fund. Welcome back to the Missoula Community Weekly Podcast. The University of Montana students and staff returned to McGill Hall this week after the building was closed for more than a month for an asbestos cleanup. In this episode, we talked to the Montana Commons' Paul Hamby about what led to the closure and how the university plans to move forward. From KBGA Radio and the Montana Kaiman, this is Missoula Community Weekly. I'm John Hooks. Paul, thank you for coming in today. Thanks for having me, John. Yeah, I would just like to start off and ask you to kind of run us through fairly quickly a chronological summary as well as you can of um, just what's been happening since asbestos was first found and then up to kind of now where we're at with uh, the hall being open again. Sure. So starting in December of last year, uh, loose asbestos was discovered above the tiling in an office at uh, McGill Hall. A company called Gem Environmental came in to perform the first round of testing when concerns came forward. And after that, the office was immediately sealed off and uh, an abatement crew was scheduled to go in. But by January, it was reported in the Missoulian that these office spaces were still sealed off. And that started to raise some concerns. In December, UM discovered asbestos in a second floor office suite. Well, they sealed the area off to conduct cleanup activities and testing. And then last Monday, they discovered asbestos in the heating and cooling systems and the preschool, prompting them to relocate the kids. And it was after hearing concerns from parents that further testing was conducted throughout all of McGill Hall. Asbestos is a mineral fiber that's concentration is measured in structures per square centimeter. According to the University of Montana, the standard they plan to adhere to was set by the EPA when working on a cleanup effort in Libby. They said 5,000 structures per square centimeter was considered the point where cleanup was necessary. They conducted both air and surface wipe tests in a large classroom in McGill Hall. 20,000 structures per square centimeter were present on the backs of computers. Over, in some areas, it was over 10 times standard set by the Environmental Protection Agency, um, both inside and outside of the daycare center. Mm -hmm. So it was on January 28th that the daycare center was closed down. Uh, the children were taken out and moved next door to the education building. And uh, that, very, that same day, they said that, you know, classes would still continue. Um, faculty and students would still stay in the building. Mm -hmm. But by January 20th, First, uh, the university decided to shut down the entire building and conduct an abatement 
throughout all of it. And uh, that ended up having ramifications for um, three different schools. That's the media arts program, performing arts programs, and the health and human health and human performance. Yep. Um, basically, all three of these all three of these programs here have very specific requirements uh, that need to be met by their facility. And uh, without that, they were and for an entire month they were without you know they were without equipment that they needed and uh, it was basically a mad scramble to facilitate all these students who had paid money to get you know their full education out of it and right. uh, for an entire month they a lot of them did miss out on that mm-hmm. so we're back now mcgill hall's back open classes are going on but yep. the basement floor which houses the daycare is still closed and sealed up what's going on with the uh, kids who go to that daycare where are they at they're currently uh next door at the education education building mm-hmm. and uh the discussion is still currently underway to find a new facility for these uh, students the child care has been relocated to the phyllis washington education center while mcgill was closed due to the asbestos the university has been exploring options for a permanent location as we reported last week, one possible location is the library at Missoula College. That raised some concerns from students. Basically, uh, parents are refusing to let their kids go back into McGill Hall after right. um, going through what they did. And, you know, um, ASUM and the university are currently conducting a search right now for the new facility. And right now their top choice is the library at, uh, at Missoula College. Hmm. Um, so despite McGill being reopened, uh, its abatement is still having long-lasting impacts because the library at uh, Missoula College, it's about, it's it's about 4,300 square feet. Mm-hmm. You have dozens of computers. You have several aisles of books. It's a, it's a, it's a quiet workspace for students there to, uh, to get their studies done, to rent out books, mm-hmm. all, that, all that good stuff, you know, function as a library for those students, essentially. And all of that is going to... Um, going to vanish if this daycare is moved there. So um, this process of abatement to clean out McGill Hall, what what does that look like as far as you know? What kind of specific things were done to that building to both clean up the asbestos that is in there, but then also to kind of, you know, make sure we're not back here again in the next seven or eight years? Sure. Well, uh, just for starters, uh, they go through, they test, uh, well, they take, they conduct air tests. And by the way, when they did conduct air tests in McGill Hall, um, the levels of asbestos were um, essentially non-existent, at least okay. according to the reports that I read. However, uh, it was in the surface tests that you did see those huge spikes in, uh, mm-hmm. in asbestos measures. Um, and it's, it's still should be concerning because the fact that it's collected in dust means that that asbestos was airborne at some point. Right, right. It didn't just materialize there. Right. But uh, a cleanup job. Uh, essentially, they, uh, the industrial hygienists uh, come in with a work crew and they'll just uh, essentially a head-to-toe mm-hmm. sort of cleanup job. Um, all major flat surfaces, you know, floors, mm-hmm. along the walls, um, above ceiling tiles, all of those received um, an industrial 
shop back job. Right. And then uh, that also it also included going over ceiling tiles with a wax coating mm. to ensure that anything that's corroded, um, anything that might have been corroded, is sealed in place. Right. And it's a top to bottom job too. So it um, so any dust that might might have crumbled during that cleanup job is swept up. Right. Part of facility services. Um, response to this has been to make available a lot, but not all of the historical records of asbestos tests and abatements within McGill before this. I'm curious if since it has been reopened, since this cleaning has been done, have they released or have you seen any of the documents from this most recent cleanup and this most recent um, abatement? As far as official documentation of the abatement process, no. Mm. Um, there have been sporadic emails from the administration giving you know, kind of progress reports mm. um, saying, you know, we're done with this section. Now we've only got this portion left. Uh, as far as room to room, um, day by day updates of what was done, I haven't seen anything now. Mm. And, uh, one thing that's still missing from the university is the historical record of all the abatements right. on campus. They are available upon request, but they aren't readily available. And that's not that's not unique to this university at all. Um, when I went through and started researching other universities and their policies um, for, for asbestos abatement, I think it was just one out of 15 that I looked at that had a complete record of every single abatement that was ever conducted on that campus. Wow. Um, so as you've been reporting on this over the last month or so, what has the reaction been like from students, from professors, from parents of kids within this daycare, sort of both about the initial kind of shock of this asbestos discovery, but then also going on as, as this month long displacement has been going on, kind of what as far as you can kind of, as far as you can kind of take a temperature of this, what has the reaction been like? Well, parents were by far the most outraged by it. Today is the first day I've heard anyone say they're sorry about this affair. Um, it was the lack, consistently, um, they criticized the lack of communication on the university's part. Um, and I'm Rather shocked, it took 51 days to close the building. Not announcing as soon as asbestos was discovered, uh, not making that uh, readily known to uh, the wider audience. Uh, university said it's it, because spot abatements are so frequent, they didn't find it pertinent to inform mm -hmm. parents. Um, they certainly learn their lesson. Tensions ran high on the campus of the University of Montana today as students and faculty want answers about high levels of asbestos that prompted the closure of a building yesterday. It seemed like, I believe they held five different meetings with parents. Um, they even brought in a, after having just two um, industrial hygienists, you know, uh, taken parents' questionings. They brought in a third um, specifically to address parents' concerns. And some of those concerns might end up manifesting themselves in uh, lawsuits. Mm. Um, there was at least one meeting held uh, by a team of attorneys uh, saying that their services are available to those uh, 
both parents and faculty, mm -hmm. students, anybody involved in the Guild Hall. Just getting to faculty and students and staff, by and large, their concerns have been with the education of their students, mm -hmm. um, being able to give them their money's worth, um, especially to seniors and graduate students whose work depends on equipment that's available in McGill Hall that they were suddenly shut out of for an entire month, or more than a month, right. actually. And so there was a, um, a mad dash to do whatever they could to avoid having to cancel classes. Um, they were definitely um, walking that line. And I'll, I'll ask you kind of for a little bit more of your opinion here. After this happened and, and was in the news so much, do you perceive a change in a change in the way that the university plans to deal with this problem going forward? There's a lot of language in their current um, abatement and operations maintenance plan for because there are there are 37 buildings on the main campus i think that have known asbestos in them and um the memorable line for me is you know the policy is not to remove asbestos for removing asbestos's sake but i'm wondering if after this whole this whole mcgill hall episode do you perceive any sort of change to taking a more proactive approach to these this problem well, at least as of February 28th, and this is according to a memo sent out by Kevin Krabsbach, the university is going to continue its spot abatement policy. It's going to um, essentially kind of wait and see. Um, I don't, it might, um, there might be some extra efforts to raise asbestos awareness so that maybe faculty and students might be able to notice when there's some eroded asbestos lying around or anything like that mm -hmm. but uh i don't think that they they the university can really afford to adopt a better sure. asbestos policy um it's suffered major cuts not just to funding but to its uh, its janitorial staff um it's not getting any extra money from the board of regents to conduct major abatements um I believe the price tag for this past major abatement was around $200,000, and I really don't think the university wants to, what's 200,000 $200, times 37? I, I really don't think that they have... <laughs> I can't do that mental math, yeah, but they, it's a lot. Yeah, I, I, I don't see that happening. Um, I, I don't see that kind of major uh, investment occurring anytime soon. So um, as far as policy adjustments, I... I, I, I don't see it happening. Um, mm -hmm. I don't see it happening very much. I mean, um, it might be a little more transparent going forward mm -hmm. uh, when and where these abatements are occurring. You know. Yeah, and in, in one of your more recent articles that you wrote, you mentioned an industrial hygienist who had stated that there were uh, several other buildings on campus um, that I think, as he was quoted, said needed a deep cleaning. Mm. And the comment also reported recently um, situation in the Clapp building on campus right. where there is known settled asbestos in the ceiling tiles that's been known about at least since 2009, right. um, where no sort of systemic 
um, approach to abatement has been taken. You know, they, they, it's the, in the story, it's mentioned that, you know, this asbestos in the clad building is being held back by rotting ceiling tiles and masking tape. Masking tape. Um, so if there's not going to be a change of approach, a more proactive approach, um, do you think within these next few years here, we're going to be seeing this same type of situation again, where a building gets to the point where it has to be shut down? We have to do this displacement thing all over again. Well, unfortunately, when you don't have the staff, you don't have the funding. Um, uh, your only real, uh, the only real outcome you can expect is for things to bottleneck like this. Mm -hmm. um, uh, especially when an abatement is an, a, a massive abatement is such a large scale operation, and it is so incredibly disruptive. I mean, we're going to be seeing the effects of McGill's Hall abatement not only possibly through health effects, but through educational, financial effects, everything like that. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, uh, it, as far as the clap building goes, uh, the last time there was a major abatement there, they had to place professors in the stadium. Uh, and it, it, it was, um, it was incredibly disruptive, incredibly yeah. expensive. And, uh, you know, I, I think, think so long is it can be avoided through these you know just tiny tight spot abatements the university will always opt for that you know instead of major abatements now um, whether or not that's preferable for faculty and, and staff um, I know they've definitely raised concerns and everything like that but um, until um, until Funding, funding, and coordination can be developed. I, I don't think I don't see uh, I don't see uh, the Clap Building receiving the kind of treatment that McGill Hall uh, mm. received anytime soon. Thank you, Paul. Thanks for coming in. Thank you, John. Obviously, my number one concern is you know my faculty, my students, my adjuncts. Uh, that have gone through that space for all this time, and someone must have known <laughs> that there was asbestos in this building. I went in good faith thinking this is a safe place to work, and now I have a concern that I'm going to have the rest of my life. If you liked this week's episode of Missoula Community Weekly, be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to catch up on our old episodes and keep up to date with our future work. Thanks for listening.